ready to be a boss? Test, survey, troubleshoot, and map Wi-Fi networks with the AirCheck G3 wireless analyzer. Super fast, portable, rugged, and for any skill level. Ready to add some cool to your kit? Check us out at netally.com forward slash aircheck. Hi. Let's start the show. And welcome to another episode of the IT Business Podcast. I am your host, Marvin B. This is the show where we try to help you run your business, whether you are an IT professional, managed service provider, solo shop, or even if you're just trying to run your tech department within your corporation. These are all things that we try to help each other do better, smarter, and faster tonight. Well, normally I say I have a very special show for you, but tonight, mm, not so special, just me. We are taking a break from interviews as I have been pushing out tons and tons of vendor pitches and live shows from recent conferences. Hello, Mr. Anthony. So this is one of the weeks where it is going to be just myself and I have a couple of stories to share, hopefully some tips to share and if you uh, did pay attention, uh, let's see, I'm not going to edit. So at the beginning of the podcast, there was a video that you would have seen a promotion for NetAlly, NetAlly. The show is presented by NetAlly. They are the main sponsor. And I wanted to promote the AirCheck G3 and if you're watching the video, I'm holding it up in my hand. This is mine that I have. And I carry these with me all the time. Now, I have many of the Fluke slash NetScout slash NetAlly tools going way back. Uh, but the AirCheck G3 is one that I got last year. And I actually used it today at a client. I was down in Miami and I was setting up a new computer in their lounge area, not even in one of their main areas. All of the computers were in use, and this was a going to, uh, going to be a conference room computer, but in a lounge. And I turned on the computer, which had been sitting in that lounge for probably two to three months. They asked me to connect a Jabra speakerphone to it so that they could use that TV for their internal team meetings. And I said, sure. And I stupidly assumed that the computer was set up. This is not a regular client of mine. This is one that I sub for. And I assumed that they had set up the computer, gotten online with their tech support company in another state and got it set up, but no, did not. So I needed to get that computer connected to the domain and everything was hooked up. It was connected with a network cable Looked like it was connected. I didn't even think to check the IP address as it was online. So I went to set up the computer, connected to the domain, and for some reason, my credentials did not work. Now, this company had given me some admin privileges so that I can add machines to their network, and then they would take it from there. So I had to call the tech uh, up north and ask him if my password had expired because... 
they do that. I think they do 120 days where they have the passwords expire. So I called him and said, hey, is my password expired? I need to get it reset. He goes, no, you're good. And we couldn't figure out why. And I said, well, I'm on the network. I'm on the internet. Uh, and I said, here's the IP address. And I gave him the subnet. It was a 10.190. something. And he goes, oh, well, that's the phone VLAN. You need to be on the data VLAN. And they literally have separate networks set up and they don't let the VLANs cross. So they have their top jack when they do dual jacks, dual jacks, their top jack is for phone and their bottom jack is for data. Since the company had already put up the TV and put the cables in, I just assumed that they were correct, especially since there's no phone in there. But they did not make both of the jacks data. They left it phone and data. So the cable was plugged into some other device that some other company is helping them with for, I don't know, in-stream something or whatever. So I took that cable out and plugged that into the computer, no joy, and took my net ally and plugged it in and realized no connection. There was something wrong with the cable. So that was what I used the one device for. But the reason that I was talking about the Airstream is even before I could log into the network, I needed to know what to name the machine. And normally uh, I have a machine that I can get on and log into the network and they gave me a login to their uh, domain controller and I can go into Active Directory and see, but wasn't able to do that. So I ended up finding out a long time ago that if you get the AirCheck 3 or the Etherscope and you can connect to their private Wi-Fi, there is a discovery tool inside the device where it'll tell you all the devices that are on the network. And since I knew all the machines were on and I knew that they had numbered the machines in a certain way, they had only gotten up to 51 was the last machine. Uh, and I could tell that by going into the air check and into the discovery section and uh, sorting the machines by name. And because the tool will go out and find all the devices that will grab their net BIOS information uh, and all of that. So I could see all the machine names and stuff. So that's just one of the examples where net ally uh, tools come in really handy. So I've, I've turned it on. I, I, I know you're not going to see this and I did not set this up for a demo, but the bottom line is when you get uh, the air check on the main screen, one of the options is discovery. And I just click on that and you can't see this, but it'll start going out and identifying all of the items on the network. And if you are on the same Wi-Fi as the local area network, you'll get all the local machine names. So that's just something that, you know, I'll put a link in the show notes for the Amazon site. If you want to go and, uh, take a gander at that. Uh, again, a tool that comes in handy. Now, I, I told you I carry, I have one bag that I actually carry the air check, the etherscope, the link runner, the link sprinter, and the test accessory along with all of my other stuff. So I have uh, the Wi-Fi analyzer that goes with it. I've got fiber cables. I've got the identification tools, I carry all that in my bag, goes with me on every client visit. So anytime I run into a situation, I am prepared for anything. So 
So let me see if I have, yep, I've got the link here. So I'm going to throw this into uh, the chat right now. So that if anybody is looking at the video later and wants to see the direct link there, or if you just go to the show notes, I will have a link to the NetAlly AirCheck G3, uh, which will do the wire, uh, the Wi-Fi testing analysis and all of the discovery and a whole bunch of other stuff on there. So get that long-winded promo out of the way. If you had paid attention to the title of this show, it was basically, do you build custom servers? And I asked that because I, for the last two weeks, I've been dealing with a situation with a client where we are doing a major network upgrade for them. And when I say major, there's a lot of moving parts. So we are upgrading their infrastructure, which at their main office, there's what, five servers there. There's the domain controller. There's a file server. Actually, there's more than that. There's a SQL server. There are three remote desktop servers. There's a SharePoint server because they're on an old version of SharePoint. We still haven't figured out what we're going to do with that. So we are upgrading all of that. These are all 2012 servers. So we are upgrading, and I've already put in a Synology NAS that is going to be their file server. And that's the main office. There is another office across the other side of the state that they were set up to actually replicate data, but only for the SQL server, they had file shares for that side of the state that they were connecting through the internet across the VPN. So I had to, well, let me explain that office is now being merged with the main office. So that office will no longer be separate. That office has its own domain controller file server. It's got a couple of RDP servers because 30 of the users over there remote in to that office locally when they're not at home. So we're actually making the main office the hub for all of their offices. So we're bringing that infrastructure on that side of the state over to this side of the state. So we've got to migrate their their files on that Y drive, which is a separate data drive. We're disconnecting the SQL server replication and the users that used to remote into that office are now going to remote into this new office. So we're doing infrastructure for the domain controller. We're doing infrastructure for the file server. We're doing two additional remote servers and a new SQL server that is going to support about 150 to 200 users in case they grow. Uh, they don't, they're only using about 139 right now, but I'm building it for 150 with growth to 200. So normally I would just put together my HP servers and do everything through that. And they approved the job quote with the HP items. And that came to about, I think it was 145,000 total before taxes for all the infrastructure. And when I went to go actually do the order, because it took them almost two months to approve the order, they knew that the price may go up and they knew that availability was hit or miss because we're still in the midst of the uh, supply chain stuff. And sure enough, when I went to go order parts, uh, about maybe a third of the items were not available, mainly the hard drives because we're doing solid state drives. Uh, we were doing 10G 
cards. This is my first uh, 10G full application that we're doing. We're putting in a 10G switch uh, for those servers. Uh, so the 10G cards weren't available. The, the hard drives weren't available. Only part of the memory was available. We're putting in, we were putting in 192 gigs of RAM and these servers. So I was talking to one of my peer group friends and they said, you know, we can get you some servers for a lot less. And I was a little hesitant because I have not done a custom server or any server for that matter, other than HP since 2005. And I'm reading a message from the chat here. Once upon a time, I thought I could build better servers, but then I had to warranty them myself. Then I realized if I ordered Dell servers and required three-year warranties, it became someone else's problem. So yeah, thank you, Eric. That's pretty much where I was going at. So in 2005 is when I needed to do a very large purchase. I needed to do it quickly. So there were multiple reasons that I decided I was going to stop building my own servers, my own desktops and everything. And part of it was the warranty. I did not want to be responsible for a business when it came to a warranty issue. If they needed support, and in this particular case, case the client at that time, you know, they they didn't know all the different types of warranties. But when I told them, I said, well, the standard warranty is going to be next business day. And they're like, well, we can't be down for a day if something happens. I said, well, I can get you 24-7, four-hour response. It's going to cost you. And they were like, yeah. And they were like that for a little while until one year. I'm getting off course. But the bottom line is there was a server at a branch office that they didn't want to do the the extended warranty on, or not the extended, but the 24-7 warranty. They just wanted to do the regular warranty because they thought it was too much. Well, Friday afternoon, power supply fails on a server, a production server, one that they needed. This is a different client, by the way, so don't think I'm mixing up my stories. I know in my head exactly where I'm going. So they had the server down, and because it was so late in the afternoon, it was probably 3.30 or something, I said, well, they're not going to be out until sometime Monday. And they're like, we got to be up and running before Monday. So we called HP because that's where they were. And they had the option to, yeah, get a power supply overnighted for Saturday. And it cost them about three grand, maybe a little more, maybe 3,500 or something. It was a lot of money to have that power supply delivered. And, this is a client that, again, was on the other side of the state. It was a branch office. So I needed to cancel my weekend plans, drive over to Tampa, meet the HP technician, get in, get all that stuff done. So it was more than the three grand or 3500 They also had to pay for me to drive over and all that stuff. So it was, it was a very costly thing. And from that moment on, it was decided we would do all warranties, 24-7, four-hour response. And that client never complained about the price again. And to be honest, I never really thought much of it. I Every client I quoted a server for, that was the quote. And it was something where I didn't have to worry about the warranty. Uh, HP took care of it all. The customer had peace of mind. If we ever parted ways, they could still deal with HP. And uh, that was that. But in this particular case, my peer group buddy, Said, look, I can get you servers, and 
I said, okay, here's the specs I need, blah, blah, blah. And he came back and I got two servers quoted and the specs were uh, 10 core Xeon processor, 256 uh, gigs of RAM. Uh, I was doing three by 3.84 terabyte solid state drives. I wanted the 10 gig NIC cards in there. And the bottom line, it was a super micro board inside of uh, a plain case and basically about 10 grand each. And the servers I were quoting were 30 grand. So the price point was good. And I said, yep, let's go ahead and do that. Now, the second part of this was not just that the parts weren't available through HP, but we had a start date of the project that was actually supposed to be this past weekend. And I told the customer, I said, well, if for some reason we run into trouble with parts or whatever, uh, we also have another component of the project where I have a SQL person that is helping out with the line of business application for the SQL servers. And that person needed to be available as well. So we had a backup date in place for a project. And that was something I wanted to make sure I mentioned to people that when you're doing stuff, you know, we talk about backup of the data, backup of circuits, backup. You know, one of the things you've got to do is if you're doing a major project, you've got to have a backup plan for the project itself. And we were going to be in a tight window getting the servers, getting them set up. And I had not heard back from the SQL person, but in fact, I still haven't heard back from the SQL person. We reserved the weekend with them, but they decided to go out of town. I sent emails. I left phone messages on, hey, got to get back to me. We got to get this project done. You guys are a critical part. Didn't hear anything. So we had to punt for a couple of reasons. I mean, even if I had the hardware, we probably would have had to push back, but we do have a backup date uh, in August that I will continue this project. But bottom line is, as I was going through this, I said, you know what? I need to actually do a check and see if anybody is still building custom servers. Because in my opinion, I didn't think anybody was. I thought most people were like me that if you're supporting businesses and you're still supporting physical servers, you don't want to be responsible for those servers. And so I sent out an email to the patrons of the show and to my peer group buddies and I got a bunch of responses, and I appreciate that. Uh, I'll read you some of them <laughs> just to give you an idea of uh, what uh, other people are doing. And in the email I sent to them, you know, the whole story I just told you and told them that I had not sold, you know, servers other than HP since 2005. So the first response that came in, and it was literally after I sent the email, minutes the email reads, no, this isn't 2005. The only reason to do this, in my opinion, is if you have really wild configuration requirements not met by a tier one, which in parentheses, Dell, Lenovo, HP, then you can use Supermicro and customize it. But in the last 30 days, I sold a server from Dell that was a 2U with one terabyte of RAM and a 15 terabyte uh, and 15 terabytes of usable SSD storage with lots of room for additional expansion. Having the next business day warranty or four hours same day if you want is way better than the cross-ship parts only warranty you're going to get on a Supermicro or some third party. 
I can go on, but the short and long answer is 99% of the time, this isn't a great plan anymore. So thank you for that response. The second email that came back saying, uh, I don't do service servers. Sorry, uncle, but it's all Greek to me. <laughs> the third email, I have a few places I go to for servers. It depends on what the needs are. My server guys handle that. I am not good at that. Uh, and one last email, we haven't built custom servers in quite a while. We use HP servers, although we have tried Dell and Lenovo. If you are building your own custom servers, you are also the one doing warranty services. I did not like doing that. So much easier to open a case with HP or Dell, etc. So those are the email responses I got. And of course, I read the comment from the chat earlier from Eric basically saying the same thing and mostly about the warranty. The other reason that I had stopped doing it um, is mainly because I felt that there was a much better integration of parts when it came to buying from HP. If I needed to quote an HP for a specific service uh, and I knew I was going to get, you know, enterprise level drives, I was going to get, you know, real raid cards uh, multiple land ports. I didn't have to worry about trying to source what that uh, part would be for those different categories. HP has a, a, a lovely iQuote tool that once you put in the server that you want, you can go through and pick, here's the memory for it, here's the hard drive for it, here's the OS, here's the warranty services, all of that stuff. So that that actually took a little bit of time off of my hands because Unless you build a ton of custom servers, and this goes back to custom workstations, et cetera, unless you build a ton, those parts can change. And either you're not going to have them in stock or you're going to go and try to buy something a second time six months later and it may not be there. So dealing with HP for me just felt safer. Uh, it also put, like I mentioned earlier, a sense of calm in the customer's mind, realizing that they would not have to rely on me. Uh, even though they may not have known HP specifically, and in some cases a lot of you are using Dell and Lenovo, you can let them know that, look, this isn't me. This is a, this is, this, these are big companies that are building these servers, so they're, they're meant to last. So those are things that uh, put, put ease on the customer's minds. However... As I mentioned earlier, the cost of building your own servers, uh, there can be a lot of savings uh, by doing that. So that was the reason I had thought about it. So I appreciate the responses I got. If you are listening to this and you have some additional comments uh, on building custom servers, uh, I would certainly appreciate it. Send me an email uh, or go to the IT Business Podcast, hit the contact me page and write in your response there or if you're listening on any of the platforms, YouTube, LinkedIn, or the Facebook, uh, write in the chats there and give me your response. So that is that. The other question I have, oh, well, it's not really a question. Well, I guess it could be. So one of these servers I said that I'm using for RDP servers. And the difference that I'm doing for the first time is I am going to be installing Hyper-V and doing two of these servers on one physical machine. 
So that was the reason that I ended up getting 256 gigs of RAM and the multiple sets of solid state drives so that I can do three different spindles. I'm going to do a RAID 1 system drive, and that's going to be for the OS and the Hyper-V manager. And then I'm going to have spindles 2 and spindle 3 each for the RDP Hyper-V servers. So I have worked with Hyper-V. I have never installed Hyper-V, oddly enough, all these years. Anytime that I have done a virtual machine, it has actually been on a Synology device. Now, same type of situation. Synology obviously does not have the same type of support that HP has, but Synology has been great for my smaller customers that weren't going to put out the money for a full-blown HP. Uh, Putting in a Synology device, a lot of those mid-range, like the 1621 or the 3622s, yeah, they're big appliances, but they don't look like a server. So people feel like, oh, we're going serverless, but The bottom line is I can still do a lot of the same things there. So I'm used to installing virtual machines on those devices, but not Hyper-V. So I've been doing some research on uh, some Hyper-V installation checklist. Uh, I'd like any input on that. Now, it seems pretty straightforward in terms of obviously enabling Hyper-V in the BIOS, enabling uh, Hyper-V in the server manager, setting up your host and doing your server install. But I am asking the community. So if any of you have, you know, any tips or anything to look out for in terms of gotchas when setting up and running these Hyper-Vs, let me know. Because again, this is my first time doing a fresh install of Hyper-V. And yes, I've gone out, I've done all of my, Google searches and talk to my um, my gurus that I go to when I'm looking for certain advice on that and just want to get some second opinions and find some real life experience on any of that. So any of that would be appreciated. All right, let's uh, move along. Wow, it's already 830. Let's keep it rolling. Actually, let me do this. Let me go ahead and mention the other sponsors that we have on the show. I know I did a big thing for NetAlly at the beginning. They are the presenting sponsor, your ally for handheld network testing tools. Diagnose, troubleshoot, design your network faster than ever. And Computers Done Right, our good friend John, uh, over in uh, Venice, Florida, does a very great job with managed service over there. Uh, takes care of clients, also can do social media marketing, websites. Uh, They are the live show sponsor. And we have Instant House Call. Now, I do uh, also, I should probably talk a little bit about Instant Calls Call. Sorry, just had to take a swig. My throat is going nuts. So I was reading in a forum somewhere today uh, an email that somebody posted They are apparently doing the on-prem version of Screen Connect. And ConnectWise will be increasing the price for on-prem Screen Connect offerings, effective September 1st, 2023. And they actually went through and listed the prices where it's going to cost 
$3,449 for on-prem concurrent three tech license and $1,150 for tech add-ons and $440 for all volume tiers for legacy concurrent session licenses. Now, I didn't get a chance to dig into the responses or ask questions myself because I wasn't quite sure if that was like an annual license or if it was, you know, a one-time purchase. But I wanted to sit there and say, okay, if you're spending that much money, especially if it's an annual license, then you want to probably consider some other options. And my first thought is now I do most of my stuff through my RMM and I actually am using, I think I'm using screen connect, but I'm using a one-off for my stuff. And I did look at using instant house call here, but I already purchased what I'm using now. So, uh, Instant house call, I'd said, let me look at what the pricing is for that. Because even though I've talked about it and the fact that you can, you know, do a 15-day free trial without even putting in your credit card, the pricing for instant house call is pretty good. And everything that comes with it seems like it would be great. You get, uh, it's a per-specialist login ID, PC and Mac remote support, unlimited installs, and software copies, unlimited sessions and connections. And if you do the starter package, which is $39 a month if you bill monthly or 29s if you pay annually, but you get not only the three concurrent sessions, you also get 50 unattended remote access endpoints. You get the co-branded features. You get uh, some unique features, um, some analytics uh, what other stuff you get? Video auditing and pre-installed on machines at your shop. So for thirty-nine bucks a month, you know, per technician, even if you're paying, you know, for three. Well, this comes with three concurrent for thirty-nine a month, so that's actually pretty good. So you're saving a ton of money there. There is an entrepreneur version for forty-nine dollars per month, which adds on remote printing, video auditing. And analytics, I don't know what the analytics are. And then, of course, you can get absolutely everything loaded for $89 a month, uh, which includes early access to new features. So, listen, I, not to just simply pimp, you know, a sponsor of the show, I just thought, you know, if that is truly the thing where Screen Connect is costing that much for on-prem. And I assume that the reason somebody would do on-prem is to host it themselves in either their own data center or their own office with a really good connection and not pay the monthly fee. I assume that that's what it is. But the email said, um, we will be increasing pricing for on-premise offerings. So I don't, I don't do the on-prem. So I don't know if that's a one-time purchase or not. If any of you, out there, no, let me know. I don't want to be passing on bad information, but that was in a forum that I saw earlier. So instant house call, give them a try. There you go. That, that, and that. All right. Let's see. What else is coming up? TechCon Unplugged is coming up September 7th through the 10th. 
tectonunplugged.com. So I know that they have been doing a whole bunch of planning and getting all of the content ready. I think they have all of the sessions planned. They've got the, let's see, Friday, Saturday, and including Sunday morning, the getaway day. They've got some impromptu sessions there. So uh, Tecton Unplugged, September 7th through the 10th. If you have not uh, considered it or purchased your ticket, head over there now. I think they're still doing discount codes so that you can get tickets. You know what? Let me pull up the website. So again, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So Tecton Unplugged, spell it correctly, dot com. It's not. This is live, and this is what happened. Tecton and you, Tecton Unplugged. There we go. TeconUnplugged.com. Such Comcastic internet. So the regular price is three forty nine. Now I don't have a discount code, so you may want to email Paco and Rick and ask them. I heard them talking about a discount code that you can get that ticket price down. Uh, Paco, Rick, if you catch this and listen, um, <laughs> send me a discount code so I can tell people uh, how to save some money there. Uh, Chris, in the chat, not missing this year. Hotel and airfare, all taken care of. All righty, sir. We will see you there. And, yes, I will be there. I am attending. I am emceeing, which just means I announce all the speakers and Play funky music. All right. Uh, other trips that I have, I'm, I'm off for the summer, no traveling. I will be attending TechCon, and the month after, that is September, October, I believe. Well, it's not in stone, but I should be heading up to Virginia or Reston or wherever the ASCII Cup is for that event. I will be there. Uh, I don't know if I'm doing podcast on site there, uh, but we will go to see if Michael Crean and Solutions Granted can do a three-peat for the ASCII Cup. Odds are, no, he can't, but we shall see what happens there. And we are working on DattleCon. And when I say we, uh, my account person at Kaseya, which is well, my account rep is a Datto person, but part of the Death Star Kaseya. Uh, we, we have been talking about me actually doing a day trip because Kaseya is headquartered in Miami. And most of you know that they you know, just bought the Miami Arena. It is now the Kaseya Center. And they have been asking me to come down and do a, a day with them and possibly do a podcast on site and visit some people. I don't know which people, how big. Uh, some account people, some data people, and we are talking about, well, hey, hook me up with DattoCon. Uh, that is here in Miami this year. And no, again, I did not plan ahead. I don't know what the dates are. I just know that it is in Miami. Oh, look, it's October 2nd through the 4th at the Intercontinental, which is a very nice hotel, by the way. And tickets are on sale right now, six ninety nine, so October second through the fourth. And what days are those? That sounds like sounds like bad days. Yes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Okay, at the uh, Intercontinental, which is it's not it's not on the beach, but it's on the water because it's on the Intracoastal, which is why it's probably called the Intercontinental. But it's right there on the water, lovely view of the bay, 
a good view of uh, Clouton Island, and you can see where all the cruise ships go out and all that stuff there. So uh, let's chat about DattoCon if anybody's going, and we'll see if they can uh, hook me up and get me going down there. All right. Okay, well, I think that's going to do it for today's show. Again, if you have any comments on my question, are you building or procuring, I should say. Some of you may not build custom servers, but you may have somebody that does them for you. Carbon Systems is somebody I looked up, and I have talked to them once at a previous conference. Is anybody using Carbon Systems? But I should have asked about that. I know that most people had talked to them about using... Uh, they were doing the little Intel nooks and using them for workstations. But I did see on their site that they were doing uh, custom servers as well. So I did not talk to them. Although after talking to my peer buddy, I said, well, if I consider doing this again, let me consider looking at all of the other companies out there. Carbon systems is one. I know there's another one that was just at a recent conference. So I don't know who they are. Um, So you may not have to build them, but even if you procure them and purchase them through somebody else, still the issue with the warranty in my mind, but uh, that's a a risk you have to see if your customer will be willing to take with you. And if you can get spare parts and be able to support them or do the cross-shipping, that is your consideration. All right, that's going to do it, folks. Thank you all for hanging out, and... uh, yeah, we did pretty good here. I cannot read the freaking clock. 843. Not bad. So thanks for hanging out. We'll be back. Uh, let's see. Tomorrow, let's see, I'll be doing more pitch it interviews. So those will be out in a few days. And tomorrow night, I'm actually a guest on another podcast. Jim Collison hosts a show called Home Gadget Geeks. And I may put a link to that. That is a show that starts at 9 p.m. Eastern. 8 p.m. Central or whatever they call that. Uh, and Home Gadget Geeks, uh, Average Guy TV is his actual YouTube name. So I'm going to be on there. I don't know what we're talking about because I don't have any home gadgets. But he asked me to come on and I said, sure. So I will be there tomorrow night live. So check in and we'll be back with another live episode next week. So see you here. Same time. Same channel. That's it for now. Holla. 